All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm speaking with one of the awesome physicians who came together because of a broken medical system, one focused on sick care instead of health care, to then start Wild Health. And, and that one physician is, is Dr. Mike Mallon, Chief Science Officer, Chief Medical Officer, and Co-Founder at Wild Health. Mike, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Really excited to sit down with you today. Yeah, I, I'm excited as well. I mean, we were we were chatting briefly before I hit record about uh, some of the work that I'm doing around mental fitness and, and the importance of questions. So I am so excited to unpack a little bit of your story and what you guys are up to at Wild Health because it, I mean, if I think of the importance of questions and a topic that's probably the most important, our health. I mean, what a great place to just pause the autopilot of life and kind of pull up a little bit from, from the scene and, and start asking some different questions around, all right, you know, where, where can I make some changes so that not only, we, we, you know, we can, we can feel better in the moment, but we can boost our longevity and, um, and everything around that, right? So... Yeah, I can't wait, Mike. And but before we get into all of that, everyone gets the same question, and it's just avoid job titles. I already gave you that, all of that in the bio. Uh, but who are you? You know, what? <laughs> how do you define yourself as as the human in front of us today? How do I define myself? All right. So from a strictly ego perspective, uh, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, one of the founders of Wild Health. I am a physician, um, traditionally trained. I was an emergency physician, spent um, 10 years uh, practicing emergency medicine, which I think was, uh, you know, a huge reason why um, Matt and I ended up starting Wild Health in the first place was this um, this focus day in and day out on the how broken our healthcare system is, and you know seeing people at the end of their health journey just finally getting uh, some treatment and realizing yeah. that there was such a huge opportunity to uh, to intervene earlier and to intervene in a in a new and unique way um, as opposed to what we see in the traditional healthcare system which is you know let's put band-aids on things right you've got diabetes let's give you medications you've got cardiovascular yeah. disease let's give you this it's n- never never is there a focus on lifestyle so i am a believer in um, i am a believer in looking at problems from a new uh, a new vantage point and mm. i think that's what we've tried to do with wild health we've tried to realize that we can use this data um, that we have, we can we can gather on people rather easily now um, to make uh, make a better assessment of what's going to treat them better, what's going to get them healthier um, through lifestyle and through a holistic approach rather than just throwing medications at somebody. Love it. I, I mean, so what, what what would you? I guess like one word or descriptors. Like what what are some of the characteristics in your personality you think al- allowed you? to pause and, and, and actually take a different vantage point, right? Versus just being stuck in the, in the system and on autopilot and just continuing along. Right. Yep. Uh, great question. I think, um, probably the biggest one, and this is one of my strongest character traits is creativity. Um, creativity and originality sort of are, are right up there together. And, um, and I, I, I think I manifest that through an interest in um, an interest in 
and problems. So I'm one of those guys that, uh, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I'll hear something interesting. And I'll be like, oh, that's, that's interesting. And then I'll go do a, you know, 45 minute Wikipedia dive on it, or, you know, <laughs> just yeah. like ran, just, you know, constantly learning and interesting and in why things work the way they do and how they work the way they do. So, um, so when it comes to, you know, healthcare specifically, I think that's, I think that's what led at least me personally to sort of diving in deeper and, and trying to understand better, like what makes us who we are and, you know, why this diet might work for us and this diet might not work for us or, you know, why we should exercise this way rather than that way. Um, it really, I think, is that curiosity that kind of driven me to that, to that point. So have you always had that, that level of curiosity? Like, were you raised in an environment like that or did something happen in your life to, to really train up those muscles? I think I've, I feel like I've always had it. You know, I remember, um, I remember even as like a, a really young child, just like spending time in nature and just like, mm. you know, playing around with things. Or for example, um, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, my grandfather used to have all this, he was a kind of a hoarder. Okay. <laughs> he used to just keep all this stuff around. And um, he, he, especially electronics, like he would just like keep electronics around the house. And, um, and at some point I was, I don't know if I asked him or if he gave it to me or whatever, but I basically found myself like just taking apart these old used pieces of electronics and just kind of like looking at them and playing around cool. just curious, like, what do they look like? And I distinctly remember like doing this on multiple occasions. And I'm not sure if it was him that gave it to me or me that like grabbed it from him. But I was thinking the other day about, man, I should really do that with my son. I think like there's something, um, there's something about like cultivating that curiosity and allowing people to just kind of play, right? And and yeah. play within play within whatever they think is interesting, um, whether it's taking apart an old stereo or um, you know dissecting an insect. I don't know, <laughs> like or you know all these all these different ways that we we manifest curiosity as a child. But it, it was definitely there from a, from a young age for sure. Okay, and when yeah, like what what was the moment or what? What guided you down the path of, uh, I guess, just going jumping into the medical space? So that was um, medicine was not something I expected, honestly. So okay. I I grew up um, very like analytical, science minded, um, which I think medicine is, but um, more towards like the physics, chemistry kind of range of things like you know like i was really interested like when in high school i was reading like you know about the cosmos and like you know okay. brief history of time stephen hawkins stuff like that just like yeah really into like you know astrophysics and stuff like that as much as you can be as like a 16 year old kid um and so i ended up doing a chemical engineering undergrad and you know learned a lot about you know um you know, processes and physics and chemistry and things like that. But then at the same time, I was also super unhealthy. So I was kind of like a, I was a big kid when I was young. Um, I was like, God, I think I was 200 pounds in sixth grade or something like that. And I got up to like wow. 260 yeah. at like at my, at my largest. Um, and I'm a, you know, I'm like six feet tall, so it's not, not crazy, but definitely obese. And, um, around like middle of college, I kind of just, I don't know. I woke up one day and I was like, I need to change. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. I'm not happy with myself. I'm not happy with, you know, my health. I'm not happy with any of these things. So I didn't learn a lot about, you know, how to eat right or how to exercise when I was a kid. It wasn't, you know, a big piece of my, uh, piece of my home life. And, um, so I just started learning this. And so that curiosity manifested itself at that point. And I just started okay. like, 
spending time online, reading forums, like, you know, um, buying magazines and reading magazines about dieting and just learning, like consuming, not necessarily making like, you know, rash decisions, but consuming things around how to become healthy. And where that landed was sort of this opportunity to learn more about biochemistry and learn more about, you know, what makes people lose weight. Where does fat come from? What, what are these different nutrients that I'm putting in my body? And it was really that like nutritional and fitness piece that kind of directed me towards health in the first place. And, and next thing I knew, I'm like, I don't really want to be a chemical engineer and watch paint dry all my life. So I like, (laughs) I'd like to like impart this knowledge that I've gained towards other people and help other people be healthy. Cause I've had this transformation and this, you know, this, this, this experience in my life. And I want to see other people who, who need that, have that opportunity and, Next thing I know, I went to medical school. Yeah, I was going to say, the next thing you know, you've got 100 years of school ahead of you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to make money for like 10 years. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. But we're happy you did it because here we are. And I mean, I'm just so so excited about what what you guys have built and the whole team. And and it's just just so needed, right? Because I I think we're probably around the same age. And like our our generation didn't, like to your point, you had to seek out the, the, the kind of health information that you were looking for. And frankly, even to this day, it's going against the grain of, mm-hmm. of common society, right? Like, I mean, anywhere you look, if you're on autopilot, when it comes to your health, I mean, you're probably going to end up sick. I mean, yeah. there's, there's unfortunately, and, and uh, I think that's just the trend of, of, of where things where, where things have, have, have gone. I mean, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm excited obviously from, from, you know, work like what your team's doing and others to kind of buck that trend and, and, and get people to slow down and, and realize that, Hey, there's, there's actually quite a bit of, you know, there are alternatives here. Right. And we can, um, you know, we can leverage the current system as well and, and just make sure that there's just a different outcomes versus like I said, in your bio that we're not in this sick care situation right? Like if I break my leg, I mean, I want you in, in the, in the emergency room to sort that out. But when it comes to a lot of the chronic disease out there, I feel like that's where we're really failing as a, as a system. So I, I, I mean, I'd, l- I'd love to know, Mike, just at what point or how long were you in the journey of kind of traditional healthcare, let's just say, and as a physician to the point where, you know, s- something happened, the, your, your path with Matt and others converged and it's like, wait a second, like we've got to do something different here. So I I think I spent about, I want to say I was the, the period of awakening around the delivery of healthcare probably came about seven years into, into practice. So I was, I was working as an academic physician, um, at a university teaching, um, resident physicians, medical students, and, and like you taking care of patients basically. And writing studies and doing research and all that stuff. And it was about seven years into it, actually through another like journey of self, self self-discovery, uh, interestingly enough that like made me realize that there's an, there's an opportunity for, for the way we change how we deliver care. And that was, so this time it wasn't, I was, you know, overweight or out of shape. It was my cholesterol was elevated and, um, it was quite elevated. Like, um, like, you know, my God, you're going to have a heart attack elevated. (laughs) And this is, this is something that, um, that, uh, you know, is, is genetic in my family. And, um, and what happened was I went to the doctor about it. They wanted to put me on a statin. Um, I got like muscle myopathy from it. So I had to stop taking the statin. I decided to do a diet instead. So I chose a diet that, you know, is 
reported to have like, you know, great results in terms of cholesterol and things actually went the opposite direction. It actually got worse. So my cholesterol was like even worse than it was on this diet. And around about the same time is when, um, some of these consumer genetic companies were you know, running your genetics and starting to give you like some, some health information in addition to like who your ancestors are and, you know, whether you like cilantro or not. And <laughs> so I, I did one of these and I, and I ran it through a third party um, company that gave you a little bit more like in-depth understanding of like some of your genes and how they can affect diet and health and exercise and things like that. And I started to see a trend. And at the same time, Matt and I were, um, we went to residency together. So we've, we've been working together for a long time. We've been friends for a while and we've always kind of had this, like, we've always been interested in sort of trying things on ourselves, you know, kind of that like biohacker in, in of one sort of mentality. So around the same time, he and I were kind of eating almost the same diet and he also got his lipids checked and they were actually improved. So what we had is these are two very similar people, both active, young, healthy physicians who are on the same diet. One person had a worsening of their lipids from this particular diet. One person had an increase or a, a improvement in their lipids because of this diet. And it was just this aha moment. Like, you know, this, this in medicine, we teach that like what is good for one person should likely be good for the next person because we do these big studies where, mm -hmm. you know, you try to, you try to put the human race into a single bucket and say, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to make this, this bucket as heterogeneous as possible. And then whatever works in this bucket is what's right for the human race. Right. Yeah. In yeah, reality, yeah. you're actually treating somebody directly in front of you. Right. So in that situation, like, it, it doesn't help if they're of that 49% that didn't get improved. It only helps if they're of the 51% that did get improved, right? So yeah. this personalization of healthcare was sort of this aha moment for us where we need to start collecting more data and actually make these personalized recommendations for people around diet, exercise, things like that. Um, and it really, it all came from a personal journey. I just, I, I love that you shared that story and that, um, <clears throat> you know, not that I, I, I wish you had, uh, wish you high cholesterol and thing like that, but I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that like kind of that played out in that way with you and Matt, because I mean, I hear this all the time and I, it's, it's kind of my own personal frustration with, with some of my own family members that are, are very much in, uh, kind of, let's just call it the Western medical system. And it's like, oh, so the, the, the response would be like, well, look, Mike's eating uh, really well. It's not working. I mean, I mean, I might as well just keep doing what I'm doing. It's like, that's not, you know, that's not necessarily the mentality, right? I mean, to your point, it's, we're all individual humans. So I guess, I mean, if we're just going from a statistical standpoint, I, I think the last time I saw this, what was it? 12.7% of the U.S. population is metabolically healthy. I, I could be quoting that wrong, but it's, it's not a lot, let's just say. Okay. Um, so for someone that is listening, you know, just... I guess wondering, well, I wonder if that's me or, or I know that I don't feel the greatest or there's something off. Like what are, what are some questions that, that we can ask to just kickstart the process of, of getting to a point of, of, of peak health or thriving health? I mean, I think, um, peak, peak health is, you know, if you, if you say like, what does it take to be healthy? You can get 80% all of the way mm -hmm. to healthy just by making a few like mindful decisions, right? Just by thinking about what am I putting in my body? Am, am yeah. I sleeping appropriately? And am I exercising on a regular basis? Like if you can do those three things, then realistically you're, you're 80% of the way there, right? You know, yeah. I, I work a lot with people who are, who don't understand that and, or who are already 80% of the way there and want to get 99% of the way there. So we're helping yeah. with that extra 19%. But you know, there is 
there is a, a lot of really easy things that people can do. And I think just like literally stepping back and saying, am I being mindful about those three things? Am I actually making decisions based on health rather than based on desire? Then, oh, then I think you yeah. can get, I think you can really get a lot of the way there. So why don't we, why don't we hit on a couple of those or those three buckets? Cause I mean, s- sleep has been a big one for me where thankfully it seems like the trend is, has, is moving away from this like badge of honor that you, you know, I only require four or five hours of sleep or something like that. Uh, you know, there's been a a lot of discussion around that. Well, that's just actually just not the case. Um, and that sleep, I mean, is kind of the first thing to start with, right? Cause it's, it's hard for you to actually make really good decisions when, when you're overtired, your mind's not operating properly. and, And you can probably speak to this better than me, obviously, but you know, inside your body from a, biochemistry standpoint too like things are off when when you're sleep deprived like that um which is always ironic to me when i'm talking to physicians given like your profession is almost set up to to sleep deprive you right so i mean i I guess mike like what 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 are some of the starting points when it comes to sleep that you work with uh clients on so i mean the biggest thing is is giving yourself the opportunity right so the first first step is don't try to jocko willick it right like you need you need eight hours of sleep a night you know and sure yeah. there's some people who genetically can do fine on six and a half and there's some people that need nine but like let's just let's say for example give yourself the opportunity for eight to nine hours of sleep at night like that's that's what every human should try to do and if you wake up early then you know you only get six and a half then you that's cool you only get six and a half but just the opportunity in the first place the next biggest thing is dealing with dealing with insomnia which is you know i think way underreported I mean, people have challenge have challenges going to sleep um they have challenges staying asleep they wake up in the middle of the night and in my experience that is that is the overwhelming majority of those instances are directly related to stress mm-hmm. and yeah. related to the things that you do before you go to bed and not having an appropriate bedtime routine. So, you know, unfortunately there's no magic pill here. It's, it's things like, you know, don't watch, uh, you know, three episodes of succession at, you know, 10 o'clock at night. It's, you know, yeah. turn off all the blue lights. It's, uh, get yourself a, a, the opportunity to sleep in a quiet, dark space where you're not going to get interrupted. You know, it's the, it's the sleep hygiene that, you know, our society has gotten terrible at with like doom scrolling and social media and, and, you know, super stressful, um, television late into the night. Like these are the, these are the issues that are causing problems for, you know, you know, millions of Americans that are, are really easily fixable with just like some mindful thought around what you're actually going to do before you sleep. Yeah. So important. I mean, I think the other thing too, is just like, we can also look at this from, uh, the perspective of, Hey, you know, instead of being, okay, well now I I can't do this, or I'm going to have to adjust this, or I need, uh, to change all these things in in my routine to, to sleep properly, which then, you know, sets us up to, well, am I actually going to do that? Or how long will I stick with this versus, I mean, you could also look at it from the perspective of, Hey, let's, let's just set up an environment where I'm going to feel great going to sleep, right? Like just come from it from a different perspective. Cause I hear this all the time as well. And uh, on my side, journaling is 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 kind of the the through line of my works. So, I mean, if you're if you are journaling, uh, there I mean, there's some great prompts there, right? To just like release what might be stewing in your mind, just things like, well, what what would I have changed this week or or the, or today? What went well? What can I celebrate about today? I mean, it just puts your mind in a, a calmer, more restful state. 
Um, and I think there's some good science too behind just even listing out uh, the three things you want to accomplish the next day or the, th- the three th- tasks of, of focus. Instead of then going to sleep and your mind's like stewing on these things, uh, you've already set it out and once you get up, you can work on them, right? So, so yeah, I, would, I, I mean, I would just encourage everyone listening to like make it a fun process. And, and be, to your point, I think just be open uh, to trying something different, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, what's clearly what's what we're doing right now is not working in, in general. So let's, let's try some new things. Got a, uh, um, there's yeah. a journal that I often recommend to my, to my patients is something called the, I think it's called the monk journal or something like that, but it gives you a bunch okay. of, gives you a bunch of different prompts that you can, um, that you can basically use to sort of prepare you for the next day. And it helps with things like rumination. So, you know, what's yeah. my plan for, for the day tomorrow? This is what I want to accomplish. But then what I also like about it is it also gives you prompts for, um, reflecting back on the the previous day or the day that you, you ju- you're just finishing, right? What yeah. are you grateful for? What went well? What did you do appropriately? a lot of like um, positive reframing around that particular day so that you don't hit the pillow ruminating and then mind spinning for the next 30 minutes. It's nice to finish yeah. these thoughts and put them in a place so that you can then go on to just relax and to sleep. So important. Hello, everyone. I first wanted to say thanks for being here, and I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to let you know if you're interested, I just launched the Better Questions newsletter designed to provide you with a consistent 15-minute opportunity to pause and think, because a pause leads to clarity and operating with intention, where we all win and thrive. The newsletter is short, simple, and practical, providing you with three quality reflective prompts and mental fitness twice a month. But as always, I'll adjust the frequency based on your feedback. Never forget, at any point, you are always one question away from a completely different life or outcome. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com, which will also give you a free preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. BehindTheHuman.com. Now back to the show. When we think of nutrition, I mean, that's that could be a podcast on itself, obviously, because there's that's a tough one. Or maybe I'm maybe I'm putting the wrong perspective to this or wrong story or narrative behind it, because where my mind is going is that we almost can't trust the majority of what's on, you know, labels and boxes and things like that. Um, Definitely not what's in the center of the grocery store in in any market, frankly. so like how do how do you even start? Like what are some 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 I guess fundamental principles to slowly chip away at having a more nutritious uh diet or or fuel system, let's just say. I I hate talking about nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um like there's two things I don't talk about, religion and nutrition. I think that's <laughs> the quote that Matt always says. Um <laughs> It is, it's so tough because there's just so, so many huge opinions here. There's so much money behind it. Like so many people have created their identity around having these really dramatic and drastic opinions on, you know, this particular diet or this particular approach, whether it's, you know, paleo or keto or carnivore or vegan. I mean, like just in every direction, there's drama, right? There's, there's, there's drama in every single direction. So but I think there's mixed messages. That's the yeah, hardest totally right? mixed messages. And, and I think it comes from the fact that, you know, these people, they do truly believe that 
you know, their, their approach is the right approach and probably because it's worked for them and it's worked for at least a handful of other people that they've put on it. And that's because there are people out there that carnivore is right for. There are people out there that keto is right for. There are people out there that vegans right for. And we're all different. We're all unique. Like we've got a different operating system, right? You know, our, our genetics have created this different operating system and our history, what we've put in our body up until this very point has changed our epigenetics around what we're actually going to respond to. So mm-hmm. I think just re- recognizing that everyone is different and you may be the person who's going to do best on vegan or keto and just recognizing that is, is a, a good first step just because it gives some awareness to the fact that whatever you're reading might not be true for you. Right. Yeah. And then I think the next step is, is finding those commonalities between each one of these, each one of these different diets. If we look at all these, these popularized diets that are out there, you know, what's common amongst them that we can, that we can actually approach. Right. So yeah. how about, uh, don't eat processed food. Super easy. How many yeah. of these diets tell you to buy like a box of anything, right? Nobody yeah. ever tells you to buy a box of anything, right? Everyone's telling you, you know, eat around this, you know, eat around the perimeter at the, at the grocery store, you know, and, and, you know, don't eat processed food. And I think there's, there's a huge amount of truth to that. I mean, if you look at the, the increase of processed food in the human diet has been, you know, directly correlated to the severity of obesity and chronic disease and diabetes that we've seen over the, over the last hundred years, right? Mm-hmm. Not not just that, but you know, the increase in sugar. So along with processed food comes processed sugar and processed oils. So lots of processed vegetable oils, lots of, lots of additional sugar, um, in these, even bread in the grocery store has, has sugar added to it to keep it softer longer. These are problems that are ubiquitous to the American diet. And, and I think, um, approaching, approaching your diet with just a few, a few basics, like don't eat processed food, reduce sugar, eat a variety of things and then don't be, don't be drastic with your decisions. Don't go, you know, all the way down one road, all the way keto or all the way carnivore. Like, you know, unless there's a, unless there's a medical need to do that, I think it's better to try to eat a variety of things as much as possible. Yeah. And I think with that, you're going to see 80% of the benefit at least, right? You know, I mean, you might not get all the way there, but if you're starting from ground zero, you need to lose weight, you need to do any of these things, just Start there, and then also I'll add one more thing because things keep popping in my head. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're doing a great job on nutrition. Don't, don't <laughs> eat, don't eat all the time. So you know, yeah. our humans were not, we weren't built to be eating all the time. We weren't built to graze, right? We were built to have these periods of fast and um, these periods of feast, right? And yeah. Without that, we're we're messing with our metabolic system. Our, our the the chemistry inside of our cells is not meant to always be turned on to fed state. And if you do that, you're going to see diabetes, you're going to see obesity, you're going to see decreased longevity. And if you don't do that, then you're going to see a reduction in all those things. So just literally, even if it's just 12 hours at night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., if that's all you can do, that is a huge step towards the right direction. I'm glad you added that one in. That's uh, that's a big one that I like. There's a lot of people... Um, covering the, the topic, right? Intermittent fasting and, and various different fasts and so forth. And it's, it's, it's nice. Again, like the, the thing is none of this is new. It's just, you know, like we're bringing, bringing these things back up, especially in my world around like mental fitness and these, these principles journaling, it's been around since the beginning of time. I mean, it, it's not new, but I think what's interesting and, and fun and hopeful, I guess, is that we're finally like linking a lot of this stuff with the current landscape of our our life and and especially when it comes to health and bringing in 
I guess, relatable narratives or use cases that, you know, like we can do this and, and, and here's why, right? That, then it makes sense, right? But just, again, asking the questions, well, wait a second, like, is this the way I'm eating the kind of my, my ritual or routine around food and how I look at food? Does that make sense from like how we evolved? Right? And usually the answer is, is no, but we just don't give ourselves the opportunity to stop and ask those questions. It's, so. it's so funny how how often we have to just reformat these old ideas to fit into a new era, right? You know, yeah, it's like, yeah like you like you're saying, fasting's been around for a real long time. In fact, forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now now we have to like we have to like revitalize it because all of a sudden like there is this opportunity to eat food 24 hours a day, you know, and the like, food tastes good and there's a dopamine hit, you know. So like all of a sudden yeah. now we have to actually be mindful that we don't overeat when you know before. You know, I mean, our ancestors never worried about overeating. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, yeah. wasn't a problem. Look at look at you know animals in the wild. They don't overeat. They're not overweight. You know, because they're still struggling to survive. That's that's not how it is anymore with civilization. So yeah, great points. For for you personally, Mike, what you know, just as you continue to experiment and figure out like what the best, whether it's nutrition or, or really anything else you're doing for your health. Um, what the best tracks are like how are you assessing you know what's working and whatnot the thing that comes to mind right away the, the biggest eye-opening experience i've ever had at this point from my health perspective is when uh some mutual friends of ours in the, in, in in your whole world put me on a, a continuous glucose monitor it's like mm -hmm. whoa you yeah. know i just had this slice of bread which is like i might as well have a mars bar like I, I was just blown away right but like you don't know these things if, right. if you don't go down that track so i mean that's one obviously but it, i'm just curious to see what what else you're seeing that works well for you and, and also your your clients so i mean with all of my clients and also with myself, I, I do fairly regular blood work um, because there's a lot of things that you can't track on a regular basis um, uh, with without actually you know getting some blood, like things like inflammation, for example, CRP, you know your lipids. Obviously, you're having to get blood work, things like that. So um, checking that on a fairly regular basis just to make sure I don't deviate deviate too much from the norm. The problem is it's it's tough to create correlations with, with blood work like that unless you're really mindful about the experiment because there's so much that you know changes on a day-to-day -day basis in our diet, exercise routine, stress, all of these things have an effect on on big blood work panels. So really they're just they're really guideposts, right? To like say sure. you've done well for the last couple months, right? Or you something is an issue over the last couple months. Let's dig in and try to figure out what it is. But what you mentioned um, with the with the wearables is is really I think I suspect this is the direction that we're going to see testing going because it is so amenable to um, to iteration and to modification of habits, which is which is a huge part of medicine, right? So if I put a CGM on you, then all of a sudden you get this amazing insight. And what I've seen with my patients is it doesn't even take more than a month or a month and a half for them to really gain the majority of the insight they need from a CGM. Yeah. You know, you put that thing on, you realize, okay, so oatmeal is not good for me. Got it. Or, hey, uh, grapes, right. not cool. <laughs> you know, like all of a sudden yeah. you, you realize the effect that each one of these things have on you. And if I'm checking that from a blood glucose or from a blood hemoglobin A1C level, you just don't get that direct feedback. And it's nat it's natural human curiosity to start playing around, start trying, you know, you know, different foods. You know, what does a Mars bar really look like? You know, that's okay to figure out like what it truly looks like. And yeah. then now you can make a better decision, right? You're armed with this information. You can say, okay. 
I've decided that I want a sugar hit right now. I'm going to either eat this Mars bar or this slice of bread, and they're going to have the same effect on my blood glucose. Realistically, there's probably other bad things in the Mars bar, but let's just say, yeah. let's just say for the point of argument here, you're armed with information that now you can make better decisions that are better going to get you to your immediate goals, right? Same yeah. is true for, um, for example, um, sleep devices. So, you know, another really challenging aspect of health that we mentioned is sleep is so subjective. You know, wake up in the morning, you're like, was that a good night of sleep? I mean, I feel kind of tired, but I don't remember waking up and I think I got nine hours of sleep, but why am I so tired? Like, it's just so nice to have this, this detail and this data surrounding, surrounding sleep, not necessarily from like a, I want to stress myself out and focus and like over-focus on how often I sleep, but from a experimentation standpoint. So yeah. how does my feet, how does my sleep get affected when I have, you know, two alcoholic drinks or how does my sleep get affected when I, when I do watch that, you know, stressful drama series, you know, immediately before bed, like you start mm. getting this, these feedback loops that are, that are just so eye-opening and allow you to to really modify the way you're living your life what are you uh which devices are you playing with right now or or excited for excited to play with when it comes to sleep tracking so um my favorite devices right now have or pretty much exclusively have been aura and whoop yep. I've been the two that I've okay. used most exclusively. I'm actually on a sleep tracking holiday right now, which is interesting. Oh, okay. I decided I decided to take a break. So I've been off I've been off my aura ring for about a month now. Um, prior to that, I wore it for about three years straight. Um, you know, okay. every once in a while, you know, take it off every once in a while, but for the most part. And um, and I saw really, you know, like I learned a ton during during that time frame. And I think there's something really nice about having it constantly there because it is this, um, reminder, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to yeah. walk away from the fact that I made a bad decision last night because of that. My sleep's bad today. It's a nice, like, you know, continue, continuing reminder. It's almost like having a health coach in your ear yelling at you. Right. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I think, I think, you know, we run the risk of overanalyzing some of this stuff, you know, I mean, I know Good what, point. I know what makes me sleep well. I know what makes me sleep, sleep like crap, you know? And, and when I make these decisions, I make them knowing that I'm going to sleep like crap because of it, but I don't need something reminding me that I slept like crap, <laughs> you know, not all the time. Yeah. So I'm taking a little holiday from it. I encourage this in my patients a good bit, just because, you know, especially with, with, um, the, the demographic that we work, work with, people are often quite type A, um, they get really focused on outcomes. And, um, and I think because of that, they, that can, that can sometimes mess up the journey a little bit. Yeah. That's a, I'm so happy you brought that up. I, I, I wasn't aware of, of the sleep holiday, but it makes, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I see it in the, in the mindfulness world with meditation, when people are stressing to get in their meditation streaks, I'm like, uh, it kind of defeats the, yeah. defeats the purpose. Like there, there, there was a good intention there at the beginning to, you know, form the habit and so forth, but then it just gets into this, this, uh, I would say more of a negative, uh, habit, right. Which I guess, you know, you're, you're self-aware enough to, to realize that, okay, like the, the tracking or the analytics is actually potentially doing some harm instead of, of what it's intended to do. Um, which is great. Cause I, I, I think, I think we're all, like you said, we're all on our own journey. We're all our individual people. And I mean, at the, at the very onset, I would encourage everyone to to try these things because at least because you have the data like you at least know now like same with me i'm not i don't have a cgm on every week but like i know i know the order of if i have that avocado first before some sort of processed carb or some sort of carb in general um even my wife's delicious homemade granola which i thought <laughs> yeah. was would have been so good oh, oh, yeah. and healthy like bam right through the roof <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> you know but just knowing these things then 
to your point, I think it comes back, it gives you, it gives us that like micro pause to either, okay, well, I'm going to do this knowing the, the results of the actions, or, um, maybe I'll take a different path because I do know. Right. And, and then we can always go back to these things, but to, to obsess over them, uh, you know, might not be the most healthy approach. Um, I do, I would love to talk about mental fitness with you. And I, I guess maybe first just what, what that word or that term means from, from your perspective. So about three years ago, I think I, I made this, I had this sort of aha moment around, around mindfulness that, um, that truly mindfulness in its essence is, is no different than, you know, exercise for the mind, like just yeah. like exercise for the body. And, um, and that was a, that was a real aha moment for me. And I think before that I thought of, um, I didn't really think of mental fitness. I just sort of, I just sort of thought about, you know, I needed to push through, <laughs> like, you know, get, yeah. get stuff done. And maybe that was medical school. I don't know, but there was, there was no, there, there, I mean, there was some, there was some reflection and there was some this introspection and things like that, but there wasn't yeah. like this idea that, that I have the ability to actually in, improve my mindset through, through regular fitness of, of my mind. Um, and at that around, around about that time, and I think is when I, when I got into, um, my own meditative practice practice and, um, and then subsequently journaling on a regular basis, gratitude journaling, things like that. Um, so when you say, I, I'm not sure if this is what you mean, but when you say mental fitness, those are the things that pop in, pop into my yeah. head. Yeah. Cause it's not, I mean, it's, it's a, from my perspective, it's a relatively new term out, you know, in the, in the market when it comes to, to, to mental fitness. I mean, mental health is discussed quite a bit, but that I still, you know, even though we're making good progress, there's still a lot of stigma attached mm -hmm. to mental health. Um, and on my side, I just, I came to this, this language of mental fitness. Now I'm not making it up. I, I heard it somewhere else, but it, it, it was helpful when, uh, for longtime listeners of the show, when, when, when I launched you know, your co-founder, one of the first guided journaling apps out there, then it was easier to come into conversation with. We're going to talk about mental fitness. This is something that it feels like, you know, I can take ownership of this versus, you know, I'm in a hole and I'm trying to dig out from a mental health perspective. Um, but it's all linked. I mean, it's all within this, the same umbrella or it's all intertwined to, to help each other, for example. So, so yeah, I'm always curious to see how other people relate to the, to the terminology. So you talked about meditation, journaling. Um, let's let's just dive into the details. Like when, what's what do your days look like? What like when do those practices show up? Um, it's changed over time, and it depends on it depends on what what's going on in my life. But for the most part, I'm a I'm a morning meditator. Um, I I really enjoy meditating early in the day and that really the earlier, the better. My preference my preference, if I could have my way, would be to basically wake up, have a couple cups of coffee. Um, just sort of like, you know, do whatever comes to mind, Maybe mess around, like, you know, read the news sure. or something like that for a few minutes, just kind of wake up and then, and then meditate. And that usually looks like a 20 to 30 minutes, um, sitting meditation. I don't use an app. I don't use anything like that. I, um, actually okay. it's not true. I do use an app, but I just use it for background noise. Um, and that's sure. because I have small kids. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so typically I use an app called Oak, which is a super simple yeah. meditation app, app that has some, you know, it's got like, Kevin's been on the show before. Oh yeah. Cool. cool. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I, I use the Tibetan Ohm as my favorite. That's the one that I like. Yeah. I use rain. Um, but so I sit with that, with my noise canceling headphones, um, 
you know, sometimes I'm lying, sometimes I'm sitting down. I've got a, I've got a little area and a little mat right now. Um, because my kids' school start time started to be way earlier, now I have to actually take them to school and come back and do it. So my okay. preference is immediately after, almost immediately after waking up, once I've sort of like woken up a little bit. If I sit too early, then I get tired um, and I, I have trouble I have trouble focusing. So I have to give myself like 15, 20 minutes at least to wake up. So that's, got you. that's meditation. Um, I've played around with some apps and guided meditations. Some, I'm not just not a big fan of them. I just prefer to prefer to be in my own in my own zone and yeah usually you're usually, focusing on the breath is that usually, how that looks for you usually breath focused um sometimes okay. i kind of i'll focus on other you know um energy sensations things like that um okay. but but for the most part for the most part the breath that's my standard go-to okay um, where um are you using the actually any of the breath work on oak as well that's been my favorite for like especially in between calls or meetings because it's so short mm -hmm. and like you immediately feel the differences right i love that stuff um another note on that um so i do use i use the breath work normally i use that um driving uh i've found that driving okay. is, driving is a trigger for me so i'll often i'll often do um four seven eight while i'm driving yeah. <laughs> not a not a, especially if i'm already a little bit stressed um so that that's a that's a big one for me um also have you heard of the leaf device? I'm not sure if you've had no. any experience with this. So this is a, leaf. this is a heart rate variability monitor that you put on your chest and okay. it monitors your heart rate variability, which is a measure of your parasympathetic nervous system activation, right? Um, yep. the balance between parasympathetic and sympathetic. And I did this thing for a couple months and I would put it out there as, you know, as beneficial as the CGM, but from a mindfulness standpoint. So what oh. happens is when you get anxious, sympathetic tone increases, poor breathing, email apnea, for example, your, your heart rate variability drops. So as your sympathetic nervous system gets activated, your heart rate variability goes down. This device monitors that and it buzzes you. It vibrates on your chest. Whenever your heart rate variability goes below a certain set point, you can control the set point. And then what okay. it does is it'll, it'll, it'll buzz you and it'll take you through breathing and through like these, and through these vibratory sensations on your chest, it'll take you through deep breathing, either I, I forget exactly what breathing method it used. I want to say it was, it might've been, it might've been box or maybe it was four, seven, eight or something similar to that. But basically it would take you through maybe 30, 45 seconds until your heart availability came back up and then it would stop. So it's like this, this constant feedback into, yeah. into when you're getting sympathetically activated and what ends up happening is you end up getting this insight into what are the things in my life that activate me sympathetically. And the big one for me was email and also driving <laughs> and for some reason, for some reason doing Legos with my son, because <laughs> I, I think, hilarious. I think I breath hold I, for whatever reason, when I'm putting Legos together with him, I breath, I breath hold a little bit and that that would drop my HRV. So I had like, you learn these things and then, and then now you've got like all this insight as to when I need to focus on my breath more when I'm doing email, yeah. when I'm driving, when I do Legos with my son. Well, that's so key. Cause I, I mean, driving, obviously you would think like, okay, that makes sense. Emails maybe, but probably less obvious. Like you driving you probably actually physically feel like okay I, I, i'm the same way i we just went into into toronto i'm just outside of toronto canada and uh about a couple hours outside of the city now and uh we haven't lived there for a couple of years and went in yesterday and i'm like oh like you can feel the tension building like stuck in traffic and so that one i'm like oh i wonder what when this thing would fire up but emails probably harder to like consciously detect, I guess, right? Unless obviously you get some sort of like really irritating um, message or something like that. But that that's fascinating. Is there, I don't know much 
And it's something I want to learn more about just HRV. Like, are there specific ranges that that we're supposed to be in? Or is, is it very dependent per person? Like, how do you figure this stuff out? Yeah, I, I would say that your range is dependent is is unique to you. So okay. the best the best thing to do is to figure out what your baseline is. So like I know, for example, my baseline when I'm when I'm sleeping is around 60. And when I'm awake during the day, if I'm relaxed, if I'm not sympathetically activated, should be close to a hundred. And then what happens okay. is you can start following that HRV over time. So general generalized anxiety, stress, lack of sleep, over-exercise, all these things can lead to sort of a trend in your nighttime heart, heart rate variability. So instead of that being 60, it'll be maybe yeah. 50, maybe 40, but about a, you know, 20, you know, 15 to 20% change in one direction or another is, is something to pay attention to maybe even just 10%. Um, and okay. then during the day, if you're wearing a device that's constantly tracking it, you know, you can literally just watch like, you know, you're at hundred, you're at hundred, you're hundred, and then something happens and you drop down to 40 or you drop down to 30. But in terms of like comparing person to person, I wouldn't say there's a big, there, there's, there's no like, there's no guiding light. You'll, what you'll see is people who are younger have higher HRVs, people who are more athletic and do more endurance okay. activities have higher HRVs. And then as we age, it tends, it seems to trend down as we age, as far as I can tell. Um, okay. And it, and there's, and there's certainly huge person to person variability. So, you know, my wife's HRV, for example, is in the twenties on a, on a regular basis. It's just, that's just where it goes. so she, but yeah. she focuses on, she, fo and she doesn't get as much variability around that 20. So she focuses on smaller changes and that's really what you need to be aware of. Okay. So it's really looking to see, cause I guess my, so I, I mean, I wear an Apple watch to sleep, um, which is tracking that it might not, you know, it's obviously not as good as, or, or a whoop or probably this device. Um, but I was always, I'd always wonder like if I'm not seeing any spikes or anything like that, like out of the obvious, but is my baseline, you know, too low or something like that's, that's, those are the things I, I have no idea type thing or where to start. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about the baseline too much. It's the change from baseline that really becomes important. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. Um, I'm going to start wrapping up. I want to uh, respect your time and you've, you've left a, a ton of awesome prompts uh, as well that we, I think we can use to slow down and really think about uh, our health uh, in from a different perspective. And the other thing, I think the through line of, from today's conversation is just the basics again, right? Like we don't have to overcomplicate this stuff, like leverage the technology, the devices, obviously to get the information, but really coming back to, you know, sleep, nutrition, movement, or exercise. I mean, like those, the fundamental questions are there. And I mean, it, it, it doesn't have to be super complicated. You don't have to do these hit workouts and all these Peloton sessions, like get outside and just move your damn body a little bit. Right. You know, if, if you're not doing anything. So, um, all right, Mike, what I would love to uh, know as, as a final question is just, you know, like, are there any trends in the health space, devices, wearables, you know, things that, that have you up at night, uh, that are exciting you to, 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 to research and so forth and, and things that we should be paying attention to. Totally. Um, as, as, uh, cheesy as it might sound, um, being on a podcast about mindfulness, I'm actually truly really excited about the refocus of, of mindfulness in, nice. uh, in 
in health. And, and, you know, the, the studies are coming out, obviously you don't need to say this. I'm sure you, you can cover this all day long, but you know, this does affect our health in, in really positive ways, um, focusing on mindset, focusing on mindfulness. So I'm super excited about that just from the standpoint of people are becoming more aware of it. And I think, you know, the healthcare industry is actually starting to become aware of, you know, the advantages here, like not just for, you know, overall mental health, but also improving your hypertension, you know, (laughs) improving your, uh, your, your inflammatory processes, decreasing risk of chronic disease. These are real, um, tangible effects from having a mindfulness practice or, you know, some sort of mindset practice. So I think that's super cool in terms of what I'm like reading on, on a regular basis. to, to be honest, it's, um, it's the new research around the use of psychedelics for mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this, this area is blowing up, um, again, <laughs> like it did 60 years ago. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and it, it's amazing the outcomes that we're seeing, the, the improvements in, in depression and PTSD, depression from psilocybin and PTSD from, from MDMA. I mean, these, these studies are really just mind-blowing how much better um, these interventions are working as, as compared to the traditional healthcare system at this point. So really keeping a close eye on that, really excited for that. I, mental health, as you know, is a, is a huge problem in our country right now. And, um, and uh, you know, it looks like we, we might have this new tool that may really help us attack it. So really excited about that stuff. Amazing. Well, thank you. And uh, so am I in both of those topics. And I think it is ironic because, I mean, we, we talked about this earlier in the show, how, you know, a lot of the stuff isn't new, but I feel like what's catching up is is the actual science, right? And, and that additional layer of, of, of testing and, and, you know, like some real conclusions that aren't just, oh yeah, you know, I did this and I felt better type thing, uh, which is exciting. Cause I mean, you know, just, it just adds, I think it just expands the availability of all, all of these different practices and, and modalities, which is kind of a win-win for all of us. So totally. th- thank you, Mike. I, I want to respect your time and I just want to thank you again for, for coming on the show. And, and of course, thank you and the whole team at, uh, wild health for just showing up every day with, uh, directed energy to really, you know, change, change, change the system and provide access to, I mean, life changing and definitely, uh, life saving in, in many cases, um, strategies for for our health right so thank you for that absolutely and thanks for having me on i really really enjoyed this it's been great to talk to you about this stuff mark 